As we open our Bibles to Matthew 5, verses 21 to 43, let me remind you of what the Bible is, what the Scripture is. This is God's holy word to us. Amen? Amen. This is God speaking to us. So as we come to this this reading and preaching of God's word, let's come to it with reverence and awe. That this is our God who is speaking to us. That Him feeding us and nourishing us uh, ultimately doesn't have to do with me, but it has to do with God accomplishing His purposes by and through His word. Let's come to it with confidence that God will accomplish His purposes. Let me read for you Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Follow along with me as I read. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had was, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue, the the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Father, we do ask that you would now bless the reading and preaching of your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to believe. 
that Jesus is our Savior. Amen. This past Wednesday, the famous physician and cosmologist Stephen Hawking died. Uh, In an interview several years ago, he talked about death in the afterlife. He said, I'm not afraid of death, but I'm in no hurry to die. I have so much I want to do first. I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Well, he died and he did go on to find out the truth, whether or not he was right about his views of God, life, heaven, and hell. But think about his view of things for a moment. He says there's no fear. He has no fear of dying because he views himself simply as a computer that has broken down. Its components have worn out. And a computer doesn't face heaven or hell, right? It just stops working. It's just broken down. There's no fear. But notice what else is missing there. There's no fear, but there's also no hope. A life without an afterlife is a life of hopelessness. In this life, we face trials which challenge our own hope. We face problems and sorrows and disappointments. Others throughout the world face starvation, brutal persecution, things worse than we could imagine. And we all must face the greatest obstacle of all, which is death. But in all these things, our ultimate hope is not that this life will get better or that we'll overcome these earthly trials. Our ultimate hope is that there is life after death. That there is a resurrection from the dead. In this passage, Jesus demonstrates that death is not the end. That there is hope when all seems hopeless. And although it's reasonable to conclude that this little girl who was raised from the dead went on to die again. By this miracle, Jesus demonstrates his authority over death. And he does this in anticipation of his own resurrection from the dead, in which he is vindicated as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Because Jesus is the Messiah who has authority over disease and death, we can face hopelessness with faith instead of fear. Let me repeat that. Because Jesus is the Messiah who has authority over disease and death, we can face hopelessness with faith instead of fear. But this is not because things will necessarily turn out better in this life. It's because there is hope for another life. Right? Think about Stephen Hawking's view of life. His view, if you take his view of life, our only hope is that maybe tomorrow might get better. Or next year will get better. But our hope is for another life. We're not holding out for a better year. Not holding out for a better decade. We're not holding out for a good retirement. I want you to to change, to refocus your mindset concerning this life and the life to come. We, We can get caught up in these traps. Maybe I'll just have a better day tomorrow. Maybe I'll have a better year next year. Oh, I can't wait till vacation. I can't wait till retirement. Then that that's what I'm hoping for. Hold out for a better hope. Hold out for the grand prize, if you will. Eternal life in heaven 
with God. Resurrection from the dead. That which is truly life. Our story begins with desperation. The desperation of the ruler of a synagogue named Jairus. He's not a scribe or a Pharisee, but he is one with a certain amount of authority within the synagogue. He manages the day-to-day affairs of the synagogue. He would get things ready for the regular meetings. So in this sense, Jairus was a man of at least some prestige. And we see from the, the mourners whom he probably hired that he was a man of a certain amount of wealth. But none of that matters when your little daughter is sick. Right? When she's at the point of death. Prestige and wealth don't count for a whole lot when someone you love is close to dying. And so Jairus comes to Jesus in a state of desperation. He falls down before Jesus and urges him, My little daughter is at the end. Come and lay hands on her. The words there are, so that she might be saved and live. And Jesus goes with him. So Jairus, a Jew and a ruler of the synagogue, has placed his faith in Jesus as the one who has authority over disease. There's a sense here in which he puts his his own career, his own reputation on the line. Already in the book of Mark, Jesus has challenged the Pharisees about their legalistic view of the Sabbath and said, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus had healed the man with the withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath in front of everyone, the Pharisees included, and they went out immediately and began conspiring on how they might destroy him. The scribes too, along another group with another group of Jewish leaders, came down from Jerusalem and were saying that Jesus is casting out demons by Satan, by the power of Satan. They were saying that Jesus himself had an unclean spirit. And so the faith of Jairus here is really quite amazing if you think about it. He's willing to take the chance at losing it all for the sake of his little daughter. Faith in Jesus always requires loss, some sort of loss. It requires being willing to lose something else. Clinging to Christ means you have to let go of something else. It may be your own self-sufficiency. It, it may be the illusion that you're the one in control of your life. Or maybe you realize God is in control, but that's the problem. He's in control, and He's not doing what you think would be best. In that case, trusting Him means giving up the thought that you know better than God. Despite all that you see, despite how it would all make sense if it turned out this way instead of the way it's going, maybe it's self-righteousness you must give up. Maybe it's your own freedom to do what you please and the happiness you get from the fleeting pleasures of this world. Friends, what must you give up to more fully trust in Christ? What is it that you're clinging to that is keeping you from placing your life fully in the hands of Christ? And then let me remind you that what you get will be better than anything you give up. For the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that 
field. This is the kingdom of God, friends. In Jairus' case, he was willing to give up his own career, his reputation, and placing faith in Jesus. This may be his only hope for his little girl. She doesn't have much time, but he has found Jesus just in time to save her. But, as we read on, we see that Jesus is delayed. A great crowd of people surround him. He's experiencing what, for many of you, might be one of your worst nightmares. People all around him, invading your personal space. It's like being on a a crowded subway. It's like you're in a mosh pit and people are shoving you from all sides. People are gathering, the crowds are gathering around Jesus. And Mark singles out one woman in particular. Notice for a moment what details Mark gives about the woman and what details he doesn't give about her. She is a woman who has had a discharge of blood. She has had it 12 years. She has suffered much under many physicians. She has spent all that she had to get better and she has only gotten worse. Not any better. And what I find interesting is that we don't find out her name. Her name's not mentioned. In contrast to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, this woman has no prestige. She's lost all her money. She's just a face in the crowd. But what's more, she's a woman with certain social and religious limitations. Jairus manages everything that goes on in the synagogue, but this woman can't even enter the synagogue because she is unclean. Leviticus 15 details the uncleanness of a woman like this. She's unclean. Any bed she lies on is unclean. Anyone who touches that bed she's sat on is unclean. Anything she sits on is unclean, and anyone who touches anything she sits on is unclean. For 12 years, this unnamed woman has been unclean. For 12 years, everything she has touched has become unclean. For 12 years, perhaps the only human contact she has known is the doctors who made her suffer even more. And we know from the story that Jesus heals her So note for a moment the compassion of Jesus on all sorts of people. On prestigious rulers of synagogues and on nameless, ostracized women. On people of great wealth and those who have no money at all. On those who bow down their knees before him and on those who sneak up from behind him. Because maybe, just maybe, if I can reach out, just touch his garment, I will be made Well, I will be saved. That's what she says. Look at verse 27. She'd heard reports about Jesus, and so she sneaks up behind him in the crowd to touch his garment. For, she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be saved. Immediately, everything changes. The flow of blood is dried up, and she knew it. She knew she had been healed from her disease. The the text speaks of her disease as an affliction, as a, a torment. Now, we could spend a lot of time discussing and meditating on verses 30 through 32. I'm just going to leave it at this for this sermon. By Jesus asking who it is who touched him, he invites the woman who held a private faith to make it public in front of everyone else. She came in fear and trembling, and now 
Just like Jairus, she falls before the Lord in worship. She tells the whole truth. And Jesus replies to the woman. He replies, you're not just some diseased woman who is socially and religiously ostracized. You are a daughter of God. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus had been approached about healing one little daughter, but first he attends to this daughter. And he makes her whole. Now notice one more thing before we go on to the rest of the story with Jairus' daughter. Notice that the word touch is used four times in these verses. In verse 27, the woman touched his garment. In verse 28, she said, if I touch even his garments. In verse 30, Jesus says, who touched my garments? And in verse 31, his disciples quote Jesus as saying, who touched me? We should remember that this woman is unclean and anything and anyone who touches her or is touched by her becomes unclean. Add to this, in the first part of chapter 5, Jesus casts out an unclean spirit from a man and sends them into pigs, unclean animals. Add to that, in the end of chapter 5, we see Jesus taking the hand of a little dead girl, which would also make Jesus unclean. Mark wants us to take notice of this. Just like Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, so he is Lord over the laws concerning religious cleanness and uncleanness. The Messiah has come and he is the fulfillment of the ceremonial law concerning clean and unclean. In other words, you don't need ceremonial and rituals to make you religiously clean before God. You you don't need ceremonial washings to make you presentable enough to enter into God's presence in the synagogue. All you need if you will be clean is contact with Jesus. When the woman touched Jesus, he should have been made unclean. But here it is reversed. Uncleanliness has no power over Jesus. And in fact, not only does Jesus not become unclean, the woman becomes whole. She is made clean. She is saved. Friends, be assured of this. There is nothing you need to do in the way of religious practices or rituals in order to get God's favor. There is nothing you can do to clean yourself up before you come into His presence. You don't need to put the mark of the cross on your forehead for Ash Wednesday. You don't need to fast in order for Him to see how serious you are about this religious thing. You don't need to dress in a certain way to be presentable to Him. All you need is to come into contact with the living Lord who makes all clean who come to Him. This is what we need. We need union with Christ through faith. Notice he says it is through f- that it is through faith that we are made clean. It is faith that, through faith that we are saved. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. In other words, faith is the instrument which led her to reach out and touch Jesus. And faith is the instrument by which you reach out and take hold of Christ. Have you, have you done that? Are you, are you currently clinging to Christ through faith? Or are you depending on some other means to get favor with God? 
All you need is Christ, clinging to Him in faith. He will make you clean. Brothers and sisters, you are cleansed from all your sins, not because of something you have done. Not because of something you've performed, but because of the performance of Jesus Christ on your behalf. When He died on the cross, He took your uncleanness. He took your filth. He took your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. And when you trusted in Him, He imparted life to you. He brought you peace with God and wholeness. So now, Jairus had witnessed the authority of Jesus over disease. He had come to the right place. But just as all this happens, someone from his house comes and they have really bad news. Look at the blunt words of the messenger in verse 35. Why further trouble the teacher? Two observations about this question. First, the speaker assumes that it is too late. Jesus may have authority over disease, but once a person dies, it's too late. The final credits have rolled. It's over. Nothing more can be done. Second, the speaker assumes that it is a trouble to Jesus. That it's a bother to him to go to this little girl and lay his hands on her. Have you ever felt either of those ways? It's just too late for God to do anything? Maybe I'm too important for God to care? I'm too much of a bother? But to these discouraging words of hopelessness, Jesus responds, do not fear. Only believe. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So with these few words, Jesus just brushes aside these discouraging words, but he also brushes aside the fears and the doubts that Jairus may have had. Think about it. Jesus' commands aren't, his command here isn't simply words to Jairus about what he should do. They actually plant the seeds of faith in his heart. By Jesus' command, he's actually stirring up faith in the heart of Jairus. You mean there's still hope? You mean there's something left that can be done? These are not the words of an optimistic friend who says, don't worry, it'll all be okay. After all, he doesn't, that person doesn't have the power to make it okay. These are not the words of a Disney hero who says, don't fear, just believe in yourself. How can you believe in yourself when you know you don't have the power or the authority over anything that goes on in your life? Your control is an illusion. No, these are the words of the one who says to storms, peace, be still, and all is quiet. These are the words of the one who has authority over demons. They come and bow down before him in fear and says, what are you, what are you doing here? Leave us alone. These are, the ones, these are the words of the one who has authority over disease. A woman simply reaches out in faith and touches his garments and she is made well. This is the one who says to you in your troubles, do not fear, only believe. Only believe in me, Jesus says. Trust in me. 
Could it be that this one has authority even over death? I am, imagine Jairus, uh, I, remind, I think about Jairus, what he's thinking about right now. The words of Jesus echoing in his mind, filling his heart with hope and wonder. And this is what the gospel does to us. This is what the good news of hope in Jesus Christ does to us. The gospel is preached that Jesus lived for us and that he died for us, that he rose from the dead. And the call comes to us, do not fear, only trust in the Savior. Only believe in him. And the Spirit uses that word to create faith in our hearts where there was none. To grow our faith where there was little. Whatever you're facing, brothers and sisters, take these words to heart. Find hope in them. Do not fear. Only trust in Christ. Place your faith in Him, in nothing else. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with Him. They come to the house. There are hired mourners, people weeping and wailing loudly. And Jesus tells them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They laugh at him because they know better. She's dead. They've, they've seen it. But what they didn't understand was that Jesus was speaking metaphorically. She's only sleeping. Death will not have the final word here. For just as her parents woke her up each morning, so now Jesus will rise her up as though she was just sleeping. So Jesus puts them all outside except for his three disciples and the parents. Because the crowds, the mourners, didn't hear with faith, they they will not get to see the glory of God. In fact, we see from verse 43, they will be kept in the dark about this miracle. Strictly charging them, don't tell anyone. They didn't hear the Messiah with faith, so they won't get to witness the power of God. They go in and Jesus, taking the child by the hand, says, Talitha kum. Little girl, Arise. And immediately the girl got up, began walking. They were immediately overcome with amazement. That is, they were amazed with great amazement. Notice a few t- details Mark gives us here. Jesus again touches someone who would be considered unclean. In this case, he takes the hand of the little dead girl. But uncleanness isn't transferred to Jesus. Rather, the life within him is transferred to her. And Mark gives us the Aramaic saying of Jesus, Talitha kum, a term of gentle endearment and compassion. A term which lodged itself in the minds of his followers as coming directly from the lips of Jesus. Because it wasn't enough for Jesus' disciples to remember that he was all-powerful, that he had authority over sickness, disease, storms, demons, and even death. It wasn't enough for them to remember that. They also wanted to preserve something for us in regard to his tender compassion toward those who are weak and needy. Jesus' authority over death doesn't mean anything to you personally unless he chooses to tenderly take you by the hand and give you life. This is, this is the, the hope that we celebrate during this resurrection season, during this time leading up to when we celebrate the resurrection, resurrection of Christ. Even as we live in a world of frustration and hopelessness and death, Jesus has overcome the grave. If only Stephen Hawking had known the truth of Scripture. If only he had known 
the truth of who Christ was. He would have known that darkness is something to be afraid of if you're all alone. But if the light of life is there, then there's no need to be afraid. If in the face of death the author of life grabs you by the hand, you are safe. Friends, let's take a few moments in silence and consider this word of God to us. Landon's going to come up, but before he begins playing, let's spend a few moments responding to the word of God. How do you need to respond? By letting go of something in order to grab more firmly the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you need to respond thanking him for the cleanliness he's given you, for cleansing you from all your sins? Just worship him and bask in his grace for you? Maybe you're facing something that feels hopeless and you're filled with fear. And to you the Lord says, do not fear, only believe.